0: Well, good morning church. Good to see you today. Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians. You'll find it towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. It's uh, my joy to uh, be back from a long sabbatical this summer to rest and recoup and be back to preach the Word. Excited to be in this new book together. Uh, We did part one. Introduction last week. If you're just joining us, I would encourage you to grab our podcast sometime soon on on our website and listen and understand the basis for this letter and who wrote it, who, to who it's written. And this is some really great and helpful insight to stir our affections for God. And it's my prayer every week that we're in God's Word together, that it would not be a one-and-done experience for you. You would kind of get your, your God-filled and then see you next week, but that it would be a catalyst to your time in God's Word throughout the week. You would hunger to spend time with your good God. It would be a priority of your days and who you are, and, um, and just excited to see what He's doing in our lives, in and through us. Um, today, uh, in part two of the sermon series on Ephesians, I'm going to be preaching verse two and three. We're going to double the workload today. Uh, we did just verse 1 last week. There was a lot to cover. Uh, and, I, and I pray you're blessed today by our time in verse 2 and 3. I want to read verses 1 through 3 uh, with you, and, and then we will pray and dive in together. Ephesians chapter 1, one through 1-3 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The good and mighty Word of our Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time that You have provided for us to be here. making many things work and come together, many things that we take for granted to allow us to, to travel, for our bodies to function, um, to, to be here together, uh, to worship you, to, to testify the gospel in the Lord's Supper, to fellowship together, pray for one another, to study your Holy Word. Um, I pray that you would receive this time as an offering of the first fruits of our week. Uh, a, a testimony to the watching world that it is our priority in life to worship and grow in and testify of the living God. I pray for the, the presses in a modern day society that are on us to stay busy, to work, to produce, to, um, to miss church. And that, Lord, uh, it would just be a growing opportunity and priority for us just to really treasure this, this time every week. Um, to gather and to grow and testify uh, of your holy name and praise. We thank you for this, for this letter written by Paul um, to the church in Ephesus, the region around, and, and how it blesses us still today in the most amazing way. God, your, your word is at work. I just pray that I would be faithful to preach it well. Uh, that Your Word would move mightily on people's lives. So I pray not just for the preaching, but for the hearing, that we would move out of our minds and hearts the distractions, the temporary things calling for our attention on this Sunday morning, and um, we would really be here present. We know that You are here. The living God is present at work. pray that we would be here, ready to be challenged and convicted and shaped and molded and inspired to to grow in our knowledge of You and our testimony of You for the, for the reason why we're still here, Lord, in these days, the making of the disciples among the nations. We love You. Uh, we, we look forward to what You have for us and to do through us this week. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, Paul moves from his introduction in verse 1 to his greeting, greeting his audience. In this, we are also given insight into some of Paul's aim for his letter, which is to bring about a deep appreciation for God's plan of redemption of an undeserving people set forth in eternity past, as we'll see in the coming weeks and passages to study, that God ultimately does this for His glory In the praise of His glorious grace. Last spring, as the elders gathered uh, to pray, to study, um, to consider what I might preach this fall, as I return from my sabbatical, um, which book we would dive into next, um, it was Paul's focus on grace and peace and power that we have in Christ that helped us see that this is a good and right next book for our corporate Sunday worship in this season in the life of our church. And by God's sovereign appointment that you are here, you who are visiting or maybe knew that you would get to be part of this journey with us. Um, it's a joy to have you. We, I pray, I've been praying, we pray, the elders have been praying that this is an appointed time for you to grow in your faith and, um, and to, to be born again if you don't have faith that we would mature in Christ and see His work uh, in and through us in the most life-changing and amazing ways. Um, Right out of the gate, we see Paul lift up grace and peace that we have in God alone. So this morning, I want to take some time to introduce both of these mega-themes that we're going to see throughout the letter as we study more in depth. Grace to you from God is his first point of emphasis in verse 2. This is more than a quick and passive greeting, but instead he's giving great insight into his priority, his heart for his blood-bought brothers and sisters. Uh, The word grace largely summarizes Paul's focus for his hearers in the first three chapters of this letter. It's important to Paul that his brothers and sisters in Christ rightly understand God's grace. Church, we must as well rightly understand God's grace in my 20 years of pastoral ministry I've come to find that many professing Christians do not rightly understand God's grace love to talk about it love to sing about it don't rightly understand it and I could make a pretty strong argument that if you don't rightly understand the grace of God you don't rightly understand the gospel of grace of God so we are desperate for these things as well if we miss the full measure of God's grace, we miss the power of the gospel and the wonder of what God has done and who we are in Him. So by way of introduction today, and surely not the last time we will dig into these things, trust me, it was painful to hold back this morning in and, and the introduction to grace and peace because there's so much to say and to study. But we're going to get there together as the coming verses and pages are just thick dripping with good understanding of these things. So I want to give some introduction today to these, um, and then we will continue to press on. First, what is grace? And what is the grace God has given specifically to His chosen people who He redeems? The definition of grace is simply this. Grace is unmerited favor or an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. We see grace at work between God and mankind in two major critical ways throughout Scripture. One is common grace. The other is saving grace. I want to highlight those so we can have a better understanding of them. First, God's common grace is temporary. It's undeserved and unobligated favor that's given to all human beings. It is the sobering reality that God puts up with his fallen creation even for one microsecond. That he endures with much patience fallen man to live, to expand, and even to thrive in the temporary setting of his creation as we know it. Do you realize and appreciate that it is only by God's common grace? that any of us exists or continue to exist. God's common grace is at work all around. Sinful mankind is guilty of arrogantly thinking that we deserve life or comfort or provisions from God. We need to see His active common grace all around better than we do. For we take it so for granted. I mean, the fact that gravity is working all the time, like it is, is a great gift of His common grace. Now, I know we think for a moment, how cool would it be if it didn't work? But just think about that ongoingly. I mean, how just maddening life and would be without gravity. The placement of the sun, the blazing sun... As In our best understanding, according to science, of these things, if the sun was just the smallest bit closer, we would be incinerated. But God keeps it in its perfect position to warm and to do what it does without us burning up. That's the working of God's common grace on mankind. The fact that the the molecules and atoms of the ground hold together so that the earth doesn't just open up and we fall into the abyss. The fact that your chair is held together by the active, common grace of God so that you all are not on the floor right now is the working of His common grace. The fact that your body, all the intricacy parts of your body working or firing that where you want your head to stay and your feet to be and your hands to move and your eyes to go God is in His common grace working all that making it work how maddening it is when those things stop working and yet 90% of it's working 10% of it might be and yet how utterly ungrateful we become because we are arrogant, we are prideful, we do hold God hostage. that He owes us way more than He does. No, we need to see His grace. We don't deserve it, nor is He obligated to give it, but it is. His common grace is at work all around. What I want you to understand is God's common grace is, is part of the picture, but it's not what Paul is specifically focusing on. And I take a moment to tell us about common grace so that we can better understand the other grace that Scripture speaks of, and that is what Paul is speaking of here. That is his saving grace. The wondrous and life-changing reality of saving grace. Our Word of Truth Catechism tells us, question 80, saving grace is God's love. Forgiveness and redemption freely and effectively given in Jesus to the elect who are undeserving of this. Grace is a gift from God. The fact that He saves any is amazing. Why? Because God, who is holy and perfect, is not obligated... To save anyone, to give his saving grace. His obligation, because of his holy perfection and because of our wicked, sinful betrayal, is instead to give his righteous wrath and judgment on guilty sinners. That's what a just judge does. Not only is He not obligated, but we are not deserving to be saved. Again, because of our sin, falling short of the glory of God, the holy standard of God, we deserve, what we deserve is His judgment, His wrath for our sin. The Bible does not approach the subject of God's saving grace from the perspective that everyone is entitled to a chance, at heaven as many modern day people believe especially many Americans maybe we slip into that because of our surrounding culture because of democracy democracy makes a wonderful system of government everyone has a vote everyone has an equal is equal before the law and that in order to be fair everyone has an equal chance to participate in the process this is indeed a good thing God, however, is not democratic. And He does not operate according to, de- to American democratic ideals. What we must understand is as soon as we introduce a doctrine of fairness we inter- to salvation, we introduce a standard by which we believe God has to save all, or at least give everyone an equal chance to be saved. We create an economy that's man-made that is simply not grace. People, you'll run into Christians, and, you, and if you're like me, maybe you were one, where you love the idea of grace, and you also believe that God should and did give everyone a chance to, to, to be saved. But that's not grace. Those two don't go together. Either He's not obligated and we're undeserving, which is grace, or those things are not true. What is truly fair is for the holy and righteous judge to render a verdict of guilty on every unrepentant sinner who is unable to pay for the fullness of our sin before the holiness of God. It is actually grace that is unfair. I mean, if there ever if you understand the purity of Christ alone who would take on the guilt all of our sin past, present, and future talk about the most unfair act ever he didn't get what he deserved neither did we get what we deserved by the greatest measure in all of human history but what is interesting and and make sure you catch this God's grace and saving work on unrepentant sinners, while greatly unfair, is just. It is just. Why? Because of Christ and His substitutionary work on our behalf. Because the penalty of our due sin was taken on by Him fully. That God the Father is satisfied in the atonement of Christ so that wrath was fully poured out on christ on our place so that now god receives us his justice is met in this the problem today though is large numbers of people even many evangelicals ignorantly or wrongly or arrogantly undermine and effectively destroy the doctrine of god's saving grace by supposing that human beings are basically good and capable of making good God-honoring choices apart from God's gracious intervention. I fear far too many Christians today speak of grace all the time, sing of grace all the time, but they don't fully understand what real grace is and how potent it is. In our current day, man, Kind is in love with this idea of human rights, and so we wrongly assume that God owes us some kind of grace. But, but hear this so clearly today, I pray. Take it down. Meditate on it. If God were obligated to be gracious, grace would no longer be grace, and salvation would no longer be be based on God alone, but would be based on some portion of human merit rather than being God's grace alone. To add anything to grace is to deny grace altogether. This is Paul's point in Romans eleven six. but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. The Scriptures are clear that men and women are sinful by nature. We cannot do anything to save ourselves, prepare ourselves to be saved. The Scriptures are equally clear that God is the one who saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This means that it is God who acts first upon the sinner, while the sinner is dead in sin. But the good news is that while sinners do not seek for God, according to Scripture, God seeks undeserving sinners. Amen? By His grace. Uh, I'm t- I, you know you know how hard it is for me to stop there and move on to peace, but I'm telling you that the verses ahead are just so rich, and so we will spend more time here digging into these truths. In the meantime, look with me at what Paul declares to the saints in the second part of verse two grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Our modern culture's idea of peace is also jaded, misunderstood, uh, misplaced. Modern culture's view of peace is the absence of conflict, or the absence of trouble. We think of peace strictly as emotional calmness. And so maybe ways we think about peace, I just want some peace, we think about it like this. Circumstantially, when they get along, whoever they is in your life, peace. Or when he or she apologizes to me, peace in our relationship. Or we think when the bills are paid, Peace. Or when my boss, or for you moms, when my kids leave me alone, peace. We must understand, though, this is an outside-in, circumstantially based peace. It is not lasting. That moment, that pause, that stillness, it's temporary. It's fleeting, right? And it is not the peace that Paul is speaking of that we have in Christ. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. John 14, 27. When Jesus says he is leaving you and I peace, he's not saying I'm leaving you a world without problems, trouble, conflict. He's saying, because of my life, death, and resurrection, I am giving you a peace, a shalom. It's a holistic peace that you will enjoy in me, in Christ, in the midst of your troubles, trials, war, circumstances. Jesus is saying, I am peace. The peace we have in God alone is a holistic peace. In the midst of life's storms, many pursue peace through drugs, through other religions, maybe through like yoga, like meditations, maybe going to the mountains or to the beach. But only those in Christ know true shalom and peace. You can't have the true and lasting peace of God if you don't know and have God. People think they have peace outside of Christ, but these are superficial, temporary. True and lasting peace is what Jesus brings his saved saints on the cross. Speaking of Jesus, consider the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 5. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. True and lasting peace is for the redeemed of God, those whom Jesus has come and saved and set free. This is good news, church. And I ask you this morning, are you resting in Christ in the peace that it is to be in Christ in the midst of your storms? Or are you, like we talked about last week, climbing into your old identity too often that was bound in sin, dead in sin, only living for the temporary, and don't know peace because you're not living in Christ Nothing compares to Christ alone when it comes to true peace. I pray you would rest in Christ. I pray you would know true shalom even in the midst of your hardest days. This is Paul's prayer for his hearers. This is my prayer for you. And that's all I'm going to say about peace this morning because we're going to get into it in major ways in the coming verses and days. Look with me at the second part of the verse. Ephesians 1, 2 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father is the author of all things. He is the author of our very being, not only our physical being, but also Christ's work in us being spiritually born again by His will and work. The Lord Jesus Christ is our supreme Lord, our proprietor. The word Lord here in the Greek means supreme authority. He is our master. He is the Lord of lords, the scriptures say. He is the one who has all dominion over all things. His name is Jesus, Yeshua. Yahweh saves. Jesus means God saves. It's His name. His title is Christ. The promised one. The royal redeemer. The one mankind has been waiting for. For redemption. The only true hope for eternal glory with God is Jesus Christ. We have... Nothing truly good or lasting without Jesus. This is why Paul is going to say, in Him, in Him, in Christ, in Him, again and again and again throughout this letter. Church, put this truth firmly under your feet today before we move on to verse 3. God's saving grace will lead to true peace. And true peace... Will always rest in God's grace. I pray it be so in your life, in Christ. Look with me now at verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Some of you might be thinking, I know this verse, like this verse. As we move into verse 3 and beyond, I want to bring some enlightening insight uh, into the section of this letter. It's special, it's really cool to understand it. Verse 3 through 14 in your English translation is written in five sentences. But there are, in the original Greek that Paul wrote, all of verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. Over 200 words. I say this because I want you to, as we dig into this section, as we begin our journey through the section, I want you to see that this is a, a doxology, a, a poem of praise for all the amazing blessings of the gospel of our Lord. Paul begins with praise for God for every spiritual blessing for His people, and then he keeps Going, adding phrase after phrase and doctrine after doctrine to list the blessings and the benefits of them, of what it means to be in Christ. One commentator speaks of verse 3 through 14 as the magnificent gateway to this epistle. One unique fact about this section is that God the Father is the subject of nearly every verb, church. May we never miss that all of life, all of Scripture, all of our faith is ultimately about God. Oh, how worthy of honor and obedience and praise He is. Amen? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at the first half of the verse, Paul starts with a declaration of praise for God. And he positions in the mind of the listener, as hearers, who God is, who God the Father is in relationship to Jesus Christ, God the Son. While God the Father is equal to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, in power, and honor and glory. God the Father has always been Father. God the Son has always been Son. This is a helpful clarity for us because God, Paul, is about to speak of God the Son and what it means to be in Christ, in Him. He's gonna do this a lot. But I think he wants us to see that our being in Christ is not separate than our being in God. For God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons and yet one God. Hear Jesus Himself say in John 20, 17, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Church, join me in praising God for the work of the Holy Trinity for the triune God's distinct focus and work in each person of the Godhead, but also for the unity that is God, and therefore the unity that we the saved saints have in God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This same declaration, those exact words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, are used by Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians. Those exact words as well. They're also used by the Apostle Peter in his first letter that he wrote. A popular, a potent phrase, declaration and greeting. You will note maybe in some other translations that instead of blessed be, it says praise be. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, is, why do other translations say it that way? Because when Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, praise be to God. God's not needing blessing or favor from us that he's lacking. He's complete in every way. This is a declaration of praise. It's a fitting opening proclamation. Why? Because God is worthy of our praise. The beginning of anything we do should start with praise to God. Because we rightly see Him as the author of all things, the one who is sustaining all things, the one who is worthy of our highest affections and praises. Let me ask you, is this your attitude towards God? Is this your practice? Do you begin your day? Do you begin your career? Do you begin the raising of your children, your vacation, your buying a house, your meal, your, your, your marriage, your, your anything, by acknowledging that it is all under the authority and rule and reign of God the Father? That it is all supposed to ultimately be a blessing to Him? May it be so. May we begin... All we do with praise for our good God. May our response to life and and all of its little happenings be but of gratitude for all that God is and has done, and especially for what He's done in saving the undeserving by His amazing grace. Look with me to the first of the many realities we have we who are under His saving grace, we who are His saved saints, believers in the Lord Jesus, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. To be blessed is to be favored. Oh, how we want and need the favor of God. Notice he emphasizes every spiritual blessing. Why is spiritual an emphasis here? Because Paul is referring to the new realm of spiritual realities into which we believers have been brought in Christ. It's a reference to what is lasting and eternal and not what is temporary. The blessings, the favor of God... In common grace is upon a mankind all around, and we are blessed in many ways. But he's speaking of spiritual blessings. This is found only in the redeemed, only in the saved. Paul is lifting high the reality of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to truly be blessed in God. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says it well. When we become Christians, we do not merely receive a benefits package from Christ containing forgiveness. What's in the bag? Forgiveness, new life, new hope, and so on. Much more than that is involved. We receive Christ Himself. We are united with Him by His Spirit so that all that is achieved for us becomes ours. In this sense, says Paul, we died with Christ, were buried and raised with Him, ascended with Him, reign with Him, and will be with Him when He comes in glory. Colossians 3, verse 1. Here we are given a catalog of the superabundance of blessing that comes to us in and with Christ. Election, adoption, redemption, sanctification, forgiveness big words big blessings love that the blessings we have in Christ are spiritual and they do not pertain just to the temporary no they're much more than the temporary they are derived in and from the Holy Spirit the work of God the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the great blessing the gift of salvation union with God Church, once again, we must see that when it comes to being blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, this is a new identity. It's a new reality. We have to understand this so that we would stop considering blessing as only what is in the temporary, under common grace, riches, and good circumstances. No, it's far greater than that. It's an entirely new standing in life. A new position. Once we were due all of God's wrath for our sin, and now we are the recipient of all of His love and blessings because of Christ. Consider the gross difference of those two realities. (laughs) Praise God for His grace. Christian, this is who you are in Christ. We have to begin to think better and bigger about these things. We have to mature in our theology, our doctrine, our understanding the scriptures, in the outplay of our thinking, of our prayer life, of our testimony, purpose of our days. Let me bring it down and make it really practical for us with this example. When someone asks you, "How are you doing?" We typically say, I'm good. Or maybe we say, I'm not good. And we typically base that answer based on how my circumstances are. We do a quick inventory. And if things are abundant and not stressful and going well, then, hey, I'm doing great. And if things are some things are good and some things are bad, we might say, Oh, well, I'm doing okay. And if family is struggling and work is struggling and money is struggling and friends is struggling and your health is struggling, you might say, I'm not doing good. Doing terrible. And then some of us just lie. No matter how we're doing. We say, I'm good, because we don't really want to talk with that person. Even though our identity is completely wrapped up in Christ, even though we are possessors of every spiritual blessing in Christ, we are guilty of continuing to evaluate life and blessing only through the lens of the physical, the tangible, and the temporal. What this does is it causes us to consistently come to God, not with overwhelmed gratitude, but with complaint or even contempt. Contempt. Hey, hey God, I just need you to bless me a little. Can, Can you just bless me? And what we're thinking of when we talk this way or live this way is the temporary stuff. And we miss, we completely throw aside the new life in Christ. The fullness of our true identity in Christ and what he has secured for us, and therefore it grossly affects our worship of him, our testimony of the gospel. We just go, God, hey, can you just bless me a little? I just need a little blessing, please. Well, God, we bless this food like the food is sitting right there before you. It's been provided. It's been cooked. And then we want to say, will you bless it? (laughs) <laughs> like like that then does something to the food to like transform it no the blessings right there you'd be given the food but, but the, we, we miss how we think about this stuff we just bless this financial we bless this gathering but, but the roots of this longing are just confounded and, and, and let me just point out the, the Some of the roots of this longing and practice are very biblical in that the Old Testament is just chock full of God wanting to bless His people. And the the Old Covenant temporal blessings that were very fixated on that covenant that we're not in anymore. We're in the New Covenant. This is a part of the era of our thinking when it comes to blessing. But look with me for a moment at some of the basis for this thinking. A, A few of the big blessings, the popular blessings, the great and amazing blessings. Blessing Of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, 2 through 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, says the Lord to Abraham. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Love that. One of my favorites, maybe one of yours, is Aaron's blessing. See it in Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Love that. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you remember pastors praying that over you in your dismissal or special moments of your life. Maybe your mom, your dad. But please lean in. Understand. See this with me. When Paul says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's saying it's already given to you, church. You are blessed. Every spiritual blessing blessing but god will you just bless me every spiritual blessing you have in christ what are we asking him for we say can you just bless me a little bit every spiritual blessing you have in christ possessors of in christ based on his life death and resurrection is the fulfillment of His life, Jesus' life, death and resurrection, is the fulfillment of all of the old covenant blessings. They're fulfilled in Christ. We who are in Christ are the possessors of that blessing. In other words, the blessing has come to you and to me, church. How? Because of Christ. Because we who are in Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3.14 He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles us through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham might now come to the Gentiles through Christ. In other words, it's ours now. We have it. All of it. Not part of it. All of it. Think about Aaron's blessing with me for a second. The Lord bless you and keep you. He has done that in Christ. How much more can God bless you than what Jesus has done for you? How much more could we be kept than being included in His finished work? Held, according to Scripture, by His power. No part of our doing or not doing can undo that. That's kept. That's hidden. That's secure. We have it. The Lord make His face shine upon you. Christ, God the Son, in flesh, has done that. How much more can God's face be shown to us than in the face of Christ? None, according to Scripture. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Speaking of Jesus, John says in John 1.14, "...the Word, Jesus, became flesh." and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord make His face shine upon you. He has done that in Jesus. And be gracious to you. Okay, in case you were asleep in the beginning of the sermon, let me just remind us. Can God, the Holy God, be more gracious to me to forgive me while I was Actively his enemy, actively working against his holiness, actively pursuing my own glory, actively practicing sin. All I did was sin. Can he be more gracious than to make me his own by the blood of the only perfect, unstained person to ever lived, Jesus Christ, his only son who died in my place? What grace, what blessing are we looking for? How can God be more gracious to us than that? I forever, according to Scripture, will never praise Him enough for that gift alone. Amen? Or we don't understand it. May He be gracious to you. Oh Lord, you have been in Christ. This is why we sing, church. This is why we live for Him. This is why we fight our flesh. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Countenance means favor. God's presence, His love is upon us. His peace is upon us. How? The cross. Calvary. Jesus did this. He won this for us. It's ours now. Church, the blessing is not out there. It's not still coming it's not something you're waiting for the blessing is here you have it in jesus christ only in god amen but but josh what are you saying all these years all this time i've been asking for the blessing of god after i've been saved and you're saying i already have it yes yeah and you got to understand this better than we do we got, we got we got to put off an immature or a wrong understanding we're like we're coming to God like spoiled kids who are have every spiritual blessing and we're like could just bless me a little bit It is a matter of you and I understanding our full identity in Christ. the word became flesh from the That's verse 14 of John 1. Verse 16 of John 1. From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Other translations say, from the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For all who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have received. We are the possessors of grace upon grace. One blessing after another. Every spiritual blessing. So many blessings. Dump truckloads of blessings. So many blessings. We don't even know how to count them. We don't even know how to fully grasp them all. How blessed we are in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But when we don't understand that, we'll go to God and go, God, Will you just bless me, please? I need some blessing. In Christ you have every spiritual blessing, and you can't lose it. I know know some of you have heard what I'm about to say before. I've said it, mentioned it before in a sermon a couple years ago. But uh, for you who are new, or to remind you, I want to pick on a funky tradition that we are all guilty of participating in. when it comes to a misunderstanding of blessing. When someone sneezes, what do you say? Bless you, or God bless you. You throw a little God in there, God bless you. Why do we say that? Do you know that the origins of this are not biblical? They're superstitious, they're paganistic. One belief is the practice originated in Rome when the bubonic plague was just terrorizing the people, raging through Europe, and one of the symptoms of the plague was coughing and sneezing. So uh, Rome's leader, Pope Gregory I, Pope Gregory the Great, suggested that people would say, God bless you, uh, uh, when a person sneezed, and hoped that that would be like a prayer to protect them from certain death. The expression may have also originated from a superstition, paganistic idea that um, people believe, going back to ancient man, that when you sneezed, you, you lose some of your blessing. And so when people say, bless you back, they're putting it back in. No, this is going to wreck you. I get it. Others believe there's some kind of like protection from evil spirits. Church, all this is man-made superstitions, and yet we kind of ignorantly follow the culture. We think because God's in there, we think it's like a good thing. Um, God bless you. And, and and you know, and I'm not again, I'm not trying to make you the weird guy in your soul social girls now. Like someone sneezes and you're like, dude, you're a Christian, you say, God bless you, man. I'm trying to help you think correctly about blessing. If the person is an unbeliever, they're under the ble- they they might be recipients of some of the blessings under common grace, but what they have is the wrath of God upon them. They they're not blessed apart from Christ nor can they be. They don't have the favor of God, they have the wrath of God. You can't give that to them after a sneeze. And for the Christian, again, they don't lose it, so we don't got to stuff it back in. I mean, you don't say it after other bodily functions, and they cough or do other things, right? Why? Why? Because it's linked to this lame superstition that comes with sneezing. I mean, what we could say to a person we know is truly a Christian is, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You could say that is just a great reminder, right? the point is, like, you're not, like, not loving a person to not say that. It's a a culturally paganistic thing, right? All right, now I just messed you up for all of the coming days and months. First service, right as I got into that, someone sneezed big time right here. Room was silent. The new people were like, man, these people are rude. No one said bless you. This means you're listening. the poor man and the rich man who are in Christ, who are Christians, the the sick woman and the healthy woman who are in Christ are equally blessed, not based on their circumstances, but based on who they are in Christ. This is what we have to see. Who. We who are in Christ are heirs to everything he possesses. God tells his redeemed children in the word, you are my son, you're my daughter, you have my name, you have my spirit, you have the truth, you have eternity, you are holy, you are righteous, you have enduring faith, you have a a huge adopted family. This is who we have, what we have in Christ, who we are. But we in our ignorance go, Lord, will you just bless me a little bit? Oh, I just need some blessing. And all that's true of us. Instead, our prayer needs to be, oh God, thank you for blessing me in Christ. May I be a blessing to you. You see, it's just like last week. We get overly fixated on the temporary. We set aside our identity in Christ. And out of the sin, we just get worked up, bitter, enraged. What we don't have, how we're comparing to other people. And Instead, we need to live out of who we are in Christ. The gospel reality that's ours. Everything that is Christ belongs to us. That we are forever indebted to get to say, Praise God, thank you for blessing me. Stop thinking, oh, but God wants to give me X, Y, or Z. No, the prosperity gospel is just damning so many people to think about these things wrongly. If we think about our health, our financial status, our social status, our abilities, as the only blessing worth chasing, then we throw away our identity in Christ if being blessed means my family's healthy, my bank account's full, my job is secure, my friends all like me, my popularity's growing, then what about the devout Christian who has none of that? Is he less blessed than you? No, not according to Scripture. So the guy who has the eternal love and blessing of Jesus, but is sick, grossly sick just as blessed in Christ what's the difference God has appointed his sickness to be used in a temporary way for his eternal purposes that's the difference what about the guy who is or the gal who's not married are they less blessed no that's God's appointment for them in that season of their life to be stewarded for his purposes the person who drives around in the beat-down 1980s car, is that person less blessed than the guy who just pulled up this morning in the brand new car? Not if they're both in Christ. They have, they have different lots called and given by God for different purposes. I mean, the prosperity gospel has just got to be thrown in the garbage. Why? Simply because of this. The best of the best of the faithful of God didn't roll around in all the crazy riches and live long lives no they were murdered for their faith they were beaten they were they were falsely imprisoned that's our example of the of the best of the best of the faithful what does that tell us it means the blessing we need to stop worrying about and looking for is all that stuff but it's found in christ alone amen oh i pray it's just wrecking you Just sending you on a whole new trajectory of praise and gratitude for God. May Christ in us and our abundant blessings in Him overflow then in a testimony to a watching world that puts the gospel on display like it never did before. When we're clamoring around, woe is me, this is what I've got, and look at all you guys, and you're doing so good. That's not living out of our identity in Jesus. Church, put that away. Repent of that. It's sinful. It's your flesh taking over. That's the old man living your new identity in Christ. When you think of how blessed you are, I want you to stop thinking or think much less about stuff and comfort and ease of life and start thinking of Jesus and Jesus alone. The cross should make us overwhelmed with gratitude every day and we should never get used to it oh i love seeing this at work in your lives i love seeing the growth the opportunity where you get to reorient me because i have the privilege of knowing some of the hardest stuff that some of you are going through and it's a joy to be invited into that and walk with that through you and even a greater joy when i know the storm is raging in your life someone says how are you doing and you say i'm blessed." Not because that's your religious answer you were taught to give. Lame. But because you actually believe it. Because you understand who you are in Christ. Awesome. It's amazing. Testifies to me every time. When that's really where you're at. And so some of you need to climb out. You need to repent of getting swallowed up by too much temporary too much comparison, too, too much looking at blessing through only the common grace lens and you're missing out on all that you have in saving grace. Church, we are blessed in Christ. And if you're here today and you've never received that, you've never trusted your life to Jesus, you still are the Lord of your own life, then you're not in that blessing. And it is my deep prayer that you would do real and swift business with why not? That you would continue to come and listen to the word preach that you would continue to heartfelt seek God that it would be his sovereign will to give you eyes to see and ears to hear that you would confess your sin and trust your life to Jesus to truly be your Lord and Savior and be born again be blessed forevermore every spiritual blessing praise be bless bless be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ amen pray with me Father you are good you are worthy oh god your grace is amazing it changes us it sends us it lord you've blessed us we thank you we thank you for the name of jesus we thank you for his work his victory we have so much to be thankful for What what a great privileged time to look at grace and peace and blessing just these two verses all that you intend to do with your holy word thank you for enduring your word that we have it here this opportunity to study it and pray lord for those who have wavered who have moved away who have never fully really understood this and that they would humbly be able to admit i have missed it Oh, how excited I am to see it and to get to praise God and testify of these realities. That it would change my heart, it would change my attitude towards the Lord God and towards His people. That You would send us forth to be bold in our testimony of the gospel. Oh, how excited we are for what You have in store. And I'm praying for those who who just continue to... Um, not to believe, to continue to think that they can find their own way and make a way outside of Christ. I just pray that you would just break them to see how desperate they are for Jesus. Give them a fervor to ask the hard questions, to dig in, to not play light. Why? Because you've not promised us tomorrow. You don't owe us tomorrow. Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your wrath and judgment on undeserving sin and on on undeserving sinners and and and. And Lord, continue to save those who who you intend to save. But come, Lord Jesus, we long to be with you forever. In the meantime, we go forth. We sing the name of Jesus. We dance, we sing, we celebrate, testify of his name today and and this week as we go. In Jesus' name we pray.